Good morning. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Today's scripture reading is from Psalms 1. It is on page 448 in the Black Bibles around the room. If you don't have a Bible, please take one with you as a gift from Livingstone's Church. When I'm finished, I will say this is the word of God. You will respond, thanks be to God, because we are thankful that God has given us his word and that we can know him. Blessed is the man who walks, not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on, that, on his law he meditates day and night. He is like tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and, it, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for everything that you've done. We are bad people, and you sacrificed yourself for us. And you have never sinned, and you sacrificed yourself for bad people. And thank you so much for everything that you did. And thank you for creating us. Thank you for creating life. Thank you for creating everything. And I hope you speak through Pastor Greg so he will be good at speaking. And don't make him mess up because, or don't let him, or let's hope he not messes up because... <laughs> That will embarrass him. <laughs> Thank you, God, for everything. Amen. So, quick, quick before we jump into Psalms, you know, uh, some of us might think it's odd that we have uh, uh, kids coming up here and reading uh, the word for us, but... Uh, I'm always reminded, and, it, and honestly, it's odd for me sometimes. I'm like, eh, maybe that's cool. Uh, but Jesus, Jesus made a big deal out of kids. If we remember when, when the kids approached Jesus, all the, uh, the guys around them were shooing them away. And Jesus made a point of, of acknowledging and telling us that if we don't have faith like a child, that uh, we will not enter uh, God's kingdom. So uh, we're reminded that kids show us something about faith. Uh, we're also reminded that we're a diverse group of people, not just in uh, race and ethnicity, but in age. And uh, so young and old can read the scriptures together. So uh, thank you, Dre. Good job. And I will try to not be messed up and embarrassed. All right. So, um, so yeah, this morning we start off uh, in the book of Psalms. Uh, we've titled this Redemption Songs. Uh, which if you're musically inclined the way I am, you're thinking Bob Marley all week. And uh, not, that's not a terrible thing. Bob Marley talked a lot. The song, Redemption Song, is about freedom uh, from tyranny and oppression. Uh, but that's not the intent of, of this redemption. We are looking at the redemption of Christ. Uh, Tim Keller, in his book, The Songs of Jesus, says this. 
The Psalms were the divinely inspired hymn book for the public worship of God in ancient Israel. Because Psalms were not simply read, but sung, they penetrate the minds and imagination of the people as only music can do. They so saturated the heart and imagination of the average person that when Jesus entered Jerusalem, it was only natural that the crowd would spontaneously greet him by reciting a line from a psalm. The psalms invite us as God's people into God's presence. It shows us uh, how to praise, how to lament our sin, how to give thanks, how to call for God's justice, how to trust in his provision, how to live wisely and look with confident hope at his redemptive acts in the past and his redemptive promises for the future. Uh, the Psalms are also referred to as the Psalter, uh, which coincidentally is what I call my wife. Um, I don't know, maybe some of you men, uh, when your wife cooks, it's a little salty. Women seem to like the salty foods. When we go to watch a movie at night or something, she's like, chips, chips, chips. I can't even hear the movie because she's got to have her salty chips. I'm like, I need gummy bears, and they're quiet, and they're not disturbing you. So, um, But... A Psalter is, is simply a psalm for liturgical or devotional use. So I, I just encourage you guys as we're going through the psalms and well after we're done going through the psalms to spend time in the psalms. I didn't mention in the first service, but if you remember uh, the Gideon's Bible that used to be in every nightstand of every hotel, you don't see it quite as much, but it was a whole New Testament plus psalms and proverbs. There's a, there's a reason for that. The psalms are an amazing book that we can spend time in. Um, I'd encourage you to, to read them uh, often because I, I've done it a few times where I've tried to read like a psalm a day. I, I don't make it very far. I don't make it to 150, but um, it's amazing to see how God uses uh, the psalms in weird times. Like it seems like it was destined that on the 13th day, the 13th psalm spoke to me in such a way that it was, it was crazy. God uses the psalms to speak to us. I would encourage you to try singing them. Um, it might seem weird if you're, a, if you're a bad singer, you might want to do it privately. But, uh, but when we sing songs, like, it sticks in our heads. Like, think about the songs from, like, the time you were 16 to 25, unless you're not there yet. Like, those songs are in your head. They come on the radio, you're, yeah, 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 you're singing them. Like, you put on any Rush song in the, in the catalog, I'm in it. I'm like, and the men hold high places. I'm, I'm ready to go, like, every time. So <laughs> sing the songs. Uh, and then I would encourage you to pray through them. Um, you can pretty much grab any psalm and start praying through them. I did this in the first service. It worked out pretty good. Uh, you never know. You get that one odd psalm, and you're like, ooh, that's not a good prayer. Um, <laughs> 78, give ear, O my people, in my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. It's easy, man. God, let me hear your words. Let your, let your words fall on my ears. Let me, let me process through them. You can read like through these Psalms and just pray them. When you don't know what to pray, when your heart is, is feeble, it's a great place to be. So that being said, let's jump in. Um, Psalm 1, if you have the ESV translation, it is titled, The Way of the Righteous and the Wicked. And it starts off like this, blessed is the man, 
The word blessed here in, in the Hebrew is the word ashar. Uh, it, it has to do more with joy and, and contentment and flourishing. Not what we kind of put on this idea of blessed. It's not the Instagram hashtag blessed when I'm on the lake in my brand new ski boat. It's not, it's not about our things. It's not about our accomplishments. But it's about real joy, real happiness, real contentment and flourishing. That's the idea. Uh, if you're sh- uh, sitting in the grocery store checking out and you're waiting for the slow teller to finish everything up, uh, you're looking at all the magazines and, and every headline of every magazine is, is this. It's trying to tell us how we can be blessed, how we can find joy in life, whether it's how to lose weight or increase intimacy or to get rich or find inner peace. It's all about this idea of happiness. The questions our society asks, the innovations that we we go through in technology, we learn, we have um, advancements in medicine, emotional and physical health, all of the aim of all of that stuff, all of our striving is joy and happiness and contentment. And the Psalms start off by claiming to be the sole truth of where we find that contentment and happiness. And then it tells us who's capable of receiving that blessedness. It says, blessed is the man. This is like two kind of things that we see here in this idea of the man. First of all, it's kind of like, you know, you know Kyle? Yeah, I know Kyle. Yeah, Kyle's the man. It's like this guy that we want to be like, like we should be striving towards. It's also... Something we don't see, it doesn't say blessed is the priest or blessed is the ruler or the king or blessed is the doctor. It says blessed is the man. It's this general call uh, of God that each of us are able to receive and live into this blessedness. Not by, uh, not, not anything to do with our race or our wealth or our education or our sex or any other identifier, but It is a general call to the poor and the rich, the construction worker and the engineer. The book of Psalms is for each and every one of us in this room today. So blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. This section here has this natural kind of digression, right? We're looking at this man who is walking, and then he's standing, and then he's sitting. He's, he's doing these things with the wicked and the sinner and the scoffer. This is a digression of, of life. It's a digression of sin. I, like day one when I started Thinking about Psalm 1, I was like, what can I use? It's a really good example. And I wanted to do a movie because that made sense. And it came to me yesterday, oddly enough, may the 4th be with you. It's, it's Anakin Skywalker. He's, he's the example, right? We, we first are introduced to Anakin, unless you're really nerdy and you read the books. Uh, in the movie, uh, he's a little baby boy, sweet little cute kid. And he's pod racer. And he's, we're, we feel really bad for him because he's in bondage. He's kind of a slave and he's racing these pods, and we kind of see this movement where he becomes a, a, a great hero to the people, and then he falls in love with 
Padme, and, and she's a great person who does great things. And, and then we start to see the dark side come in, right? He starts kind of going, getting counsel from the wicked. And then he kind of starts to stand in that. And the next thing you know, Anakin, sweet Anakin, is Darth Vader. Oh, I, I ruined it for Gabe. Sorry. So that's how, like, that's what the digression, that's what it looks like, right? So, so we have this idea of walking not in the counsel of the wicked. Who are the wicked? The wicked are, are one, all of us, right? We're all wicked. But in this context, we're talking about those who are not claiming Jesus as their Lord. Or for this time period, this would be those who are not worshiping the God of Israel. Who are not heeding his commands. Who are not of the nation of Israel. So when we walk in the counsel of the wicked, what happens? Well, if we're getting counsel from someone who is not under the lordship of Jesus, we're getting a totally different worldview than what we ought to have. It's influenced by things that are not of God. The psalmist is instructing us to not take counsel from the wicked because when we do, we're going deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. We're less and less and less satisfied. But he's calling us to blessedness and hope. Don't take counsel from the wicked. It's important that we kind of really make this an application because when we go to counsel for those outside the faith, and that's not that we don't. I mean, a lawyer is a counselor, so you probably go to that. Uh, you might have an emotional counselor that you go to that might not be a believer. But when we're talking about making decisions about you know, marriage or dealing with problems with our kids or, or you know, big life things, when we're going to counsel outside of the people of God, what, what kind of counsel are we getting? When, you, when you're looking for someone to give you marriage advice, like, why would you go to someone who doesn't love Jesus? Like, I know 100% my, my marriage is without Jesus being the head is, is junk, it's done, it's, it's, it's condemned. Um, so we, we go to those who are inside the faith, whose worldview is based on the lordship of Jesus. And then he says, nor stands in the way of sinners. It's important to not read this wrong and say, doesn't stand with sinners. That's not what it says. If it did, you and I would never stand again. We'd always have to be walking around because we can't stand with sinners. So we would be tired people. But it says stands in the way of sinners. So what, is that, what does that look like? That We should look different. And I'm not talking about a physical appearance. We don't all have to put the khakis and the blue blazers on. It's talking about like we should be different. There should be something other about us. People should question why we do things. Like why would you do that? Why would you give up this to go help this person? Why would you give up your Saturday? I get people all the time at work. They're like, why do you do so much at your church? Like you, like every weekend you can't go camping because you're doing something with the church that's like that's part of the otherness that's that's something different life isn't all about ourself and then it says that the person who is blessed does not sit in the seat of scoffers the idea here is is an identity issue right so the people that this was being written to in the context they would understand this idea of sitting uh, if you were at a big feast, you would sit with those who you identify with. The rulers, the lords, they would sit at a table 
the military men would sit at a table together. You, you sit at a table according to your identity. It's like when you're in high school, like, you want to go to the lunchroom? You're like, oh, where's my people? Where's my people? The people you identify with, or at least want to identify with, are who you want to be seated with. This is not, or should not, for the righteous, be sitting with those who are scoffers. And what is, what is a scoffer? It's, it's somebody who mocks the things of God or mocks God himself. So our friends uh, that we are seated with, our identity should not be the scoffer. That does not mean that we are not friends with scoffers. That's just not our seat. That's not our identity. Jesus was clearly friends of sinners. That was one of the, the chief things that people accused him of, being a drunkard and a friend of sinners. Like, that's what we're called to do, but it's not to be our identity. Uh, in Psalm 119, which is one of the psalms I would not sing because it's 178 verses and you will get tired. Uh, <laughs> or go for it. Um, but in 119, 20 through, uh, 23 through 24, it says, Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. So it's like we have this answer in 119 of, of the opposite of what we see in this idea of sitting with scoffers. He's saying, this guy is a scoffer. He's sitting. He's plotting against me, your servant. He's mocking God. But I will meditate on your statutes and your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Our counselor is God and his word. So the temptation here is um, for us to walk in these things. We, we, we walk in sin. We, we make these moves of walking, then standing, then sitting in this uh, digression. It's like a drift that we see. And anytime the word drift comes into my head, I think about uh, Hebrews 2. And it's a great warning that we see in Hebrews 2. It says, therefore... We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. This is this idea that we avoid the drift, that we remember God's word, that when we are rooted in that, then we can avoid drifting away from it. And that's where we go into verse two. It says, but the delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This is the verse that you need to remember. This is what you tattoo on your arm if you've got space. Uh, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. True happiness, true blessedness comes to those who meditate on the law of God. And it's not just the law in the sense the Ten Commandments. We don't spend all day, every day, just reading over the Ten Commandments. It's the whole of Scripture. Is that we see 
the creation of God in Genesis, his creation, the fall, and the reoccurring constant redemption story throughout the Old Testament where we see the people of God walking away and we see God faithfully bringing them back. Those are what we dwell on. Those are what we study day and night. Our hearts should be tuned to those things. It's the entirety of scripture. And it says we ought to meditate on it. Um, Eastern religion, meditation, is this idea of clearing our minds of everything, which I've found to be impossible, but we clear our minds and we think of nothing. This idea, the Jewish idea of meditation, the Christian idea of meditation, is to fill our minds with the things of God. Fill our minds with his word. That includes the law. That includes the rules that we meditate and we find our joy in those things. I think if you are struggling with being unhappy a majority of the time, or maybe even all the time, that it might be a result of where you are seated. What's your identity? Is, is, is your seat with God or is your seat with the scoffer? We have a God who, who wants us to call him Father. It's this idea that we can jump up into our daddy's lap and sit with God. That's where we find joy. And then there comes the why. Why should we do these things? Because he who does these things is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. So he is like a tree. This, this man, the man, he is a righteous man planted This idea of planted isn't a random tree that randomly grew somewhere. It has been planted next to a stream. The imagery of this tree planted by a stream would have uh, rang true for those who lived in Israel, but we live in a very similar landscape. I remember when we moved here four years ago, and anytime I'm driving out to Ferntucky, when I'm coming back on I-80, it's like desert, 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 and then you kind of come around the corner where Vista is, and This is green landscape. Why? Because we are planted on the Truckee River. So the visual is just as true to us as it would have been to the people who he was writing to. And this is where we find our happiness being planted by God's sovereign hand in the streams of water that provide enduring faith. And what are the streams of water? They're they're Jesus. Jesus. Jesus offered this idea of living waters. We, we have the benefit of the New Testament and the gospel that the uh, hearers of this originally would not have had. But Jesus, when he came, he claimed to be that living water. He said in John 4, 14, when he was uh, talking to the woman at the well, he said, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, speaking of the water in the well. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So we are planted and rooted in Jesus, in his lordship, in his word, in his provision. And then it says that it yields, this tree yields its fruit in its season. Um, 
First, the fruit. What is this idea of fruit? If you remember Galatians 5, 22 through 24, the fruits of the Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and it keeps going, and you're like, oh, man, I'm already like five for five. I'm <laughs> Self-control. Against such things there are no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So those are the fruits that we're talking about. But the next thing it says is what's probably most encouraging to me. It says, in its season. I don't know about you, but there are a lot of seasons where I don't feel very fruitful. Where I feel like I've, I'm not living up to, to what I say I believe. There are seasons where I doubt. There are seasons where I doubt God. I doubt his provision. I doubt his faithfulness. I struggle. The psalmist is being real here like he is through the entire book of the Psalms. It's not all pomp and circumstance. It's not all a bunch of smiles and let's uh, put on our face. It's, this is real talk. That there are seasons that we are going to struggle. The Psalms constantly recognize the trials of life. The seasons of sickness. The seasons of death. The seasons of marital strife. The seasons of unemployment. The seasons of change. That with these changes, there will be seasons of fruitlessness. But what does he say next? He says, but the leaf does not wither. This tree is rooted in the everlasting water of Jesus. It will not wither. Happiness or blessedness is not the promise of living in, on easy street. It's not the promise of having all of our highest desires. It's the promise of hope. That when we meditate on the things of God, when we see his faithfulness, when we are kingdom-minded, knowing that all things work together for the good of those who love him, that we were created for the glory of God alone, that we can flourish even in the midst of changing seasons. So God will sustain us. And then we get this warning. Verse four, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff, that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. I'm not a farmer. I, I understand this idea of chaff, but I was thinking, what's a, what's a parallel? You ever drop like a handful of screws in the dirt? And then you're like, crap. And you're like, you don't want to pick them out one by one. So you, you grab the whole pile and you can blow away the dirt and the screws are heavy and they still sit there. That's, that's the idea, the language that he's talking about here. The chaff will be blown away. This is, this is a warning. And yet, again, for me, this is something I doubt. This is something I don't always believe because I don't always see it. How many of us see those who are wicked, those who are unrighteous, prospering? We see it all the time. It might be a coworker who cheats or steals from the company and he seems to keep getting bonuses and keep getting, you know, he never, no one even says anything to him. He's always late. No one cares. He's get, probably getting paid more than you. It doesn't seem right. Or if you're a student and you're like, man, I know this kid's always cheating. He's always stealing somebody else's notes. And yet he's got an A and I've got a C. It doesn't seem fair. 
Or what about the spouse who breaks the bonds of marriage and gets away scot-free and moves on with their life and leaves some spouse there to pick up the pieces and carry on? I see it all the time with single moms that are left two, three, four kids and the dad's gone. He's doing whatever he wants. He's living, he's living it up. You got a new motorcycle. Uh, he's, he's hanging out and mom is slaving away. It doesn't seem fair. But our, our hope and our, our understanding doesn't come from the right here and the right now. It's the hope of future things. When we are rooted in the hope of eternal life with Jesus, we know that the evil of this world will pass away. We know that God will judge and he will avenge so we can be at peace. Because of what he says in the next verse, verse uh, 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. It says the Lord knows. This isn't like, hey, you guys know Greg? Yeah, six foot tall, strikingly handsome. Yeah, I know him. It's like, <laughs> this, is a, this is a bigger knowing. And I think we can kind of see that when Jesus talks in Matthew 7 when he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I mean, clearly Jesus knew them. He's the creator of all things. So he knew them. He did not know, know them. The Bible uses this word know all the time when it talks about the consummation of marriage. It says that uh, so-and-so saw so-and-so and they were recorded and then they got married and then he went in and he knew her. Clearly he knew her before he went in there, hopefully. Um, but this idea of knowing is an intimate knowing. That, that God intimately knows those who are his. And although he knows those who are not his, he did not know them and they are cast out. And we can count on that. So this is our hope. To be in Christ is to be known by God. So when we walk not in the counsel of the wicked, but rather we meditate on the word of God, when we are planted and rooted in Christ, when we are known by God, then we are blessed. Then we are truly able to be joyful. The psalmist in 1611 says this, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is our hope. These this pleasures of evermore. Forever with God. So what is the psalmist revealing to us? This psalm uh, one is, is a laying out the foundation for the entire book of Psalms. He has given us knowledge of what it means to be righteous, to live in contrast to how the wicked would live. He has told us what the righteous are like and what the wicked are like. Psalmist has told us uh, of the eternal prospect is for the righteous and he has told us what the eternal prospect is for the wicked. 
But in all of that lies the problem, that none of us are righteous. I would guess that if you're like me, you've walked in the counsel of the wicked. If you're like me, you've probably stood like a sinner. You've sat with the scoffers, not an innocent bystander, but an actual partaker in scoffing the things of God. And not just in the past, this is something that we do over and over again. Our, our hearts are prone to wander, as we sang earlier. So we are constantly dealing with this. So does that mean that we are going to be like chaff, destined to be blown away by the wind, eternally separated by God? Yes, if you have not called Jesus Lord. I tell you that we can find true happiness, not fake. We don't have to fake it, but we can have joy because we can know and be assured of salvation by doing two easy things. Jesus has done the heavy lifting. All we have to do is repent and believe. Repent and believe. If you don't know what repent means, it's just this idea of turning from sin. It's a military term for uh, turning direction. About face would be like our uh, our current uh, version of that. So we're, we're looking at repenting, turning from sin. This is something we do daily. It doesn't mean we turn from sin and we never sin again. It means we turn from sin daily. Martin Luther said, all of life is a life of repentance. So we repent and we believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We just celebrated Easter where we, we saw Jesus crucified and risen doing all the heavy lifting for us. This is what we celebrate, the eternal salvation plan of God, that Jesus was born of a virgin. He was lived a perfect life, a substitutionary life, and then he gave up that life as our substitutes on the cross, getting victory over our sin and rising from death, claiming his completed mission so that we can be eternally saved from our sins. That's the invitation to repent and believe. Kind of want to end with uh, two things. One, Paul in Romans 4, 5 through 8, not only quotes a psalm, but kind of drives home this idea of how we are made righteous. He says this, he says, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. So it's not the work, it's the believing. His faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And then he quotes Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. This is the blessing. This is our hope. I was going to finish with reading some of uh, It Is Well, which is my favorite hymn. Uh, but then the band sang, and I wept both services. Uh, they got me twice. Um, but in Give Me Jesus, man, that, that last verse and then the bridge says, oh, I could search for treasure afar, drink deep of every desire. But at your right hand are oceans of joy, a harbor for drifting hearts. 
oceans of joy. The depths of the oceans, we don't even know much about the depths of the ocean as we think we know about space, right? So like there's depths, there's crazy things, there's so much to be seen, there's so much joy to be found in the finished work of Christ and our hope of eternal salvation. And then there's a harbor for drifting hearts, an anchor that we can be rooted and anchored in Christ. It is our hope. And then the bridge, this world has nothing for me. I've tasted just tasted. We haven't even really gotten all that. We've tasted the joy of Christ. To dwell with the King of glory, my portion and my reward. Let's pray. Father God, I, I thank you for your word. God, that we can know you. God, that we can understand your love for us. That we can see your eternal plan, the God that we can find hope. Father, I pray that our hearts would be changed. God, that we would chase after this life, this righteousness that is found in Christ. Father, that we be reminded that he does the work, that our salvation is sure when Jesus is our Lord. Father, I thank you for your son. And it's in his name that we pray and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.